All right, everyone. Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 24. Well, before we begin, today is also a special day because it's our baptism and a baptism picnic. So we're excited because we're going to be meeting at 2 p.m., about five miles from here at Lower Allen Township Community Park. Uh, I pray you all come out. You know, baptism, as many of you know, is an outward profession of an inward transformation. I think we have somewhere between 14 and 15 people getting baptized from this fellowship. And we're also praying that uh, there seems to be a, a baseball game going on right across the way. Just coincidentally, of course. And uh, we're praying that as the word goes out, as we begin worshiping and singing and just having a great time, a picnic like that, that uh, maybe some of the baseball players, I don't know, between the, I don't know, seventh, eighth inning before they get uh, ready to get back up there, maybe the Lord will lead them to come over and be baptized, right? You never know what God will do in the heart of man with a willing, with willing soil. So I'm excited about that. And it's just miraculous what God's doing in the hearts, you know, when I know people say, well, there's a lot of darkness, you know, in Harrisburg in this area. But you know what? God's light is so shining forward. And it cannot be hidden. And it's such a beautiful thing. And um, I just thank God for that. And why, why don't we do that right now? Why don't we bow our heads and just thank God? Father God, we come before you right now, Jesus. We do thank you always and in every way, Lord. Not just for your blessings, but for who you are, Jesus. You are a righteous king. You're the Lord of lords. Lord, you love us so much that you gave us, Lord, your only begotten son, that, that God, as you sent him, that he would die for our sins and our transgressions, Lord, that way. And God, simply by believing in him, by making him our Lord and Savior of our lives, Lord, you've redeemed us. Thank you, Jesus. There's no other words. Our thanks isn't even enough, Lord but willful hearts to come and praise you and worship you, Lord God. That's what we have to give, and we give it completely, Lord, all in. So God, we ask you to be here in our presence this morning, Lord, through your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we ask that you would go before us. And Lord, I pray that you'd give eyes to see and ears to hear what your word has to say to our hearts. Let it minister, Lord. Let it marinate in there and do a miraculous work in our lives. God, that's why we're here. We're not here to hear from a man. We're here to meet with you, Jesus. We pray this in your name, almighty God. And all God's people prayed, amen, amen. All right. We've been waking, making our way through Acts here, this book, I think uh, maybe almost a year now to get to 24 chapters. Um, might be a little longer than that. But uh, as we've been making our way, I mean, we have seen so much about the early Christian church. I mean, the first church, if we can even say it that way. And it's been amazing just even from chapter 9 on to watch Paul and all that he's gone through as a, as a missionary, as a church planter, as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but I, as I've been going on this journey with Paul and, and the Holy Spirit through this word, it's, it's been working in my heart. It's been showing me what's most important. Are there things in my life I'm holding on to? Are there things that I've put in a prominent position, maybe in a place where only Jesus should be? And as I continue to read and I look at this from really chapter 23, 24 on, Paul's going to be in house arrest for the next four to five years of his life. He'll spend time in house arrest. And we don't see him coming back and going, no, no, why? Lord, why have you forsaken me? No, he, didn't, he didn't say any of that. What, what Paul understood through the Holy Spirit, he understood that God had placed him in that position and he gave him free rent, gave him his meals, and gave him an audience with leadership in the Roman government. See, Paul saw what it was about. He understood to live is Christ to die is gain. He really understood what that was about. He wasn't just trying to make it, you know, or fake it till you make it, some people say. He wasn't about that. He was all in. And I think it's beautiful. So as we pick up here in chapter 24, we're going to be going on with Paul is now before he's being brought to Felix. And he's going to be accused of crimes that he didn't commit. The biggest crime is the same crime that they tried to accuse Jesus Christ of. Do you remember the crime that they brought before Pontius Pilate, the, the Jews and leaders, the elders that way, the Sanhedrin and the 70 men? Do you remember the actual crime that they had more or less accused Jesus of? 
well, blasphemy, yes, but, but they weren't even so much concerned while they were skirting that. The real thing that they were upset about and claimed is that he was a terrorist. Remember, he's going to destroy this temple. And it's the very thing that they're going, because the enemy doesn't use anything new. It's the same old attack over and over again. And he's going to go at Paul the same way. He's going to try to discredit who Paul is. He's going to, the enemy's going to try to discredit the sect, as it was called at that time, by the non-Christians. The sect of the Nazarenes, as they called it. But Paul uses the term, and what I believe Jesus Christ gave him, the way. The way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. There's a way. There's only one way. And so as we read this and we, we begin to see this, it's interesting. I want you to put on, how many, how many of you probably watch those shows on the TV with the law? law dun, 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 you know, the law and order and all the, yeah, I've wrecked you with that, didn't I? Dun, dun, you're all wrecked by that. But the law and order and all the, you know, you know, trial shows, courtroom shows, put your courtroom hat on for a moment. Put yourself back there some 1970 so years ago. As you come into Felix's courtroom, as Paul would sit there, first of all, being held 12 days at this point without a single proof of accusation. In other words, they're accusing of all things, but not a single bit of evidence in any of it. And Paul didn't once say, well, you need to let me go. You have no proof. No, he trusted God. He prayed, God, meet me in the trial. Not take the trial away, but Jesus, meet me in the trial. Because when you meet me in the trial and I'm in your will, God, that's when you're working. Not when you try to take it away from me because that's comfortable. We all like comfort. But sometimes comfort doesn't produce that sanctification, that righteousness. It also may be that very thing that could draw others to Jesus when they see the faith that you display only through Christ. Only through Christ. And so we're going to pick up here in verse 1. Now, after five days, Ananias, the high priest, came down with the elders, a certain orator named Tortullus. These gave evidence to the government against Paul. So we see after these five days, the Jewish leadership, you know, you had Ananias, you have the high priest, you have the elders, right? And then we have this man, Tertullus. He, he's an orator. In, in that day, do you know what an orator is? He's a mouthpiece. He's a hired gun. We see it today. Some of the, the signs up there, you know, call such and such and such when you have a problem. He comes in, he's a mouthpiece. Well, that's, that's who this Tertullus is. He's a skilled lawyer. And he's he's going to present a case to Felix like that in hopes to convict Paul because it's not enough to just have him sentenced. He was already sentenced, so to speak, in house arrest. It won't be enough. They want him dead. And they won't rest until he is dead, just like they did with Jesus Christ. They won't be content. Evil will stop at nothing to consume. There is no managing it. There's, there's no, well, I can handle a little bit of this, and I, you know, I'm dabbling in this as, as though I'm spiritually mature enough. No, there's nowhere in your Bible you'll find any of that. You stay away from it. We have nothing to do with it that way. Well, this skilled lawyer, he's going to pretend, you know, present his case that way. And, and I think it's interesting, Ananias, the elders, and this skilled lawyer, as they go through, they're, they're going to try to obtain this guilty verdict. Now, you all here this morning, you get to be the jurors. I want you to put your spiritual hat on, your spiritual lens on. As we go through this line by line and verse by verse, let the Holy Spirit show you and teach you according to his perfect word. And you take yourself back there 1,900 years ago and imagine sitting in this courtroom as this is all going on. Verse 2. And when he called upon Tertullus, he began his accusation saying, seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity... He's, who's he talking about? He's talking about Tartuus, right? He's, he's speaking to him. And being brought to this nation by your foresight, we accept it always in all places, most noble Felix, with all thanksgivingness or thankfulness. Nevertheless, not to be tedious to you any further, I beg you to hear by your courtesy a few words from us. Now, 
we see in this passage, boy, he laid it on, right? You guys got your boots on? I got my boots on. He laid it on very thick here, right? He's going before, you know, uh, Felix that way, and he begins this whole orientation, this whole introduction, doesn't say a bit of why he's even there at this point with any accusation. He says, I'm going to begin the accusation, but he really didn't do anything. And at this point, he says, most noble Felix, right? His, his story, if you think about this guy, he, he's actually quite remarkable. He's one of the few people that you could say um, ever was able, he was a slave originally. And through politics and through his brother's relationships, he was able to become a noble, a governor, and so Antonius Felix's brother, Paulus, was friends with Emperor Claudius. And through this influence, he was able to rise in status. First, obviously, gaining his freedom, right? He was a slave. But after he gained his freedom, then he was using political operations, political motives. We don't know anything about that today. We don't, we don't ever see any of our politicians using political motives, right? He becomes the very first slave to ever become a governor in the Roman government. He's the only one, as a matter of fact. Tactus, a Roman historian, described Felix as a master of cruelty and lust. He exercised power of a king with the spirit of a slave. Tactus also tells us that Felix's public and private life was just absolutely awful, treacherous. He traded the influence of his brother because his brother Paulus had an in with the emperor. He would trade those and he used it as a license for excess, thinking he could do any act he wanted to. He could seek out any pleasure he wanted to and knowing that his brother would give him impunity. Now, again, we think today in the times we're living, it's not rare anymore that we read about politicians that are falling. We just had one in Florida recently. A, a lady in Florida fell because she was involved in simply lying about her degree, lying about her credentials, saying she went to a college and she didn't go, and nor was it even required for her public official service. But she lied. You know, she was, got so enamored with the politics that she forgot what she actually was, you know, standing up to do, and that was to, you know, speak with and for the people. That's one thing that's beautiful, beautiful about our democracy, our government, is that it was supposed to be for the people, by the people, or by the people, for the people, however you'd like to say it. We, we experience and we have such freedoms in this country. We are truly a blessed nation. We've been given much. Well, for Tactus... He didn't care. He would have done anything he could at any means to get what he thought was right or to get what he desired, right? And he says, if you look in your Bibles there, seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight. Now, if you know Jewish history and you go back and you look at this first century, you know this is a flat-out lie. This isn't just, uh, you know, politicking or as an orator saying, well, you know, I'm laying it on just even a little thick. He's flat out lying. You know, he was being flattering, yes, but certainly Felix in no way brought peace or pro prosperity. Actually, if you go back, as I mentioned, historically, there were several Jewish uprisings at that time where they would stand up and they would challenge Roman authority, right? Well, much like Pontius Pilate didn't like uprisings, if you remember, one of the reasons that Pontius Pilate stood back and he didn't want to necessarily um, go through and upset the Jewish leadership because he had already had an uprising that had occurred from false messiahs and other things going on. And rather than one more time where the governor said, hey, Pontius, if I find you one more time not managing or governing this area, you're done. Well, Felix he found himself in a similar situation. And it became about self-preservation for him rather than doing what was right. Just like Pontius Pilate. Everyone has a choice. Everyone's given a choice. So there was this major uprising and um, what he did is he brought brutality to it. He didn't come and just capture them and hold them you know, in prison or something like that. He ordered a massacre of all, or I shouldn't say all, thousands of Jews in Caesarea. 
He had them then go, the Roman officers, then go to the homes and loot all of the homes for the Jewish people that were involved in this by the Roman soldiers. And they took whatever they wanted. They did horrible, unspeakable things to their wives and children. Terrible in the, in, in the idea of civility. Do, do you see, do you understanding and describing this man, who he really was? It's important that we understand the historical context. Now, I, I want to mention this, that the lawyer begins with this lie of appeal, but what is he really doing here? What's he appealing to? What's, what's this all nestled in, this lie and this flattery? What's he appealing to of Felix? Pride. He's, he's appealing to Felix's ego. He's playing to Felix's ego that way. Again, keep your court hat on, keep your lens on that way. You're, you're in this courtroom, you see this flattery, right? And, and I think often we forget flattery is a neglected sin. If I, if I can say that, people overlook it often, but the Bible has a lot to say about it. If you'd hold your finger here, you can turn to Romans chapter 16. And we'll look at verse 18. God has a lot to say about flattery. Romans chapter 16, verse 18. Speak to us of those who do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the simple. Turn in your Bibles to Jude chapter 1 verse 16. Jude chapter 1 verse 16. There's really... Just verse 16. Again, speak of those who speak great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. You know, many people are often seduced into immorality through simple flattery. Through simple flattery. I think of how many unfortunate things we hear about in the Colleges, the young people these days with flattery from men or women like that, seducing them into immoral or behavior that's not appropriate according to God's design. One man, one woman, married for life, one flesh. Turn to Psalm 78. We can even see that people begin to try to flatter God. Can you imagine? People flattering God. Maybe someone, I mean, you know, a number of people here this morning, I don't want to make assumptions, but maybe somebody here's done that. Maybe I've done that. Psalm 78, verse 36. Nevertheless, they flattered him with their mouth and they lied to him with their tongue. Pretty convicting, huh? Pretty sobering. When you give God insincere praise, it's, it's flattery. That's what you're doing. And God doesn't want that. Please turn back to Acts chapter 24. That's exactly what this man was doing. That's exactly what this mouthpiece was doing. This lawyer. For we have found this man a plague a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple and we seized him and wanted to judge him according to our law. So again, you're, you're a juror in this trial, right? Can you identify a specific charge that was just brought forth? Don't look at me, look in your Bibles. Can you, can you identify a specific charge? For we've found this man to be a plague. Is that, is that a charge? I mean, at that point, if it was a charge, it's essentially political. I mean, what he's saying is that he's, a, he's dangerous politically for us. I, he's, you know, I, I don't know what he's doing. He's not able to be bribed. He's not able to be bought. I can't in any way, you know, entice him. I can't buy him. So therefore, he's a threat. Why? Because Paul was sold out to Christ and Christ alone. He wasn't able to be manipulated by man. He wasn't a respecter of persons, as we see in the book of James. No, Paul had a surrendered heart. He was a disciple of Jesus Christ. He followed no one but the king. 
That's what it means, lordship. Dulos in the Greek. He's the master, we're the bondservant. Dulos means bondservant. We're the bondservant. We follow the master. Paul got that. There's nothing more freeing. You know, I, I remember the first time somebody explained that to me. Wait a minute. I'm a slave. Let me, let me just get, let me process that. I'm, I'm a bondservant. I'm a slave. Dulos in the Greek. How is that good? And, and they said it so simply in a way that I needed to hear it. And I, I know it was the Holy Spirit. You've done it your way long enough, haven't you? Haven't you, Matt? You've done it your way long enough. Are you ready to try God's way? Absolutely, Lord. You're right. Every time I sought my wisdom, it didn't end well. Like Proverbs 3 says, lean not on your understanding, but in all ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. True words. The whole Bible's true. The next thing he says is he's a, he's a plague. He's a ringleader, the sect of the Nazarenes. And he had profaned the temple. You see, what he was doing here, Tortullus, this lawyer, he was, he was trying to do essentially what they did to Jesus. He was making a case in context for them to try to say that Paul was a terrorist. Again, the very thing they accused Jesus Christ of. Nothing new under the sun in spiritual warfare. You know what I mean? Amen? Nothing new under the sun in spiritual warfare. Now, during the first century, Judea was filled with many revolutionaries against Rome. And Tertullus wanted to put Paul in that same group of terrorists. He was trying to identify them. And not only him, but what also was he doing? He was trying to identify Christianity. And Paul and anyone that followed Jesus Christ, including Jesus Christ, in that same, you know, extreme group of fundamentalists that only believe in Jesus Christ and his word. And isn't that what we are? I mean, the modern in the 60s and 70s, we were called Jesus freaks. But isn't that what I am? Isn't that what you are? Don't you love Jesus more than you love yourself? You know, we're forgiven people. We don't apologize. If anything, we ask Christ for more boldness, just as Peter did in the book of Acts. When he was persecuted for his belief, he doubled down. He prayed, Lord, give me more boldness. Well, Peter, you were just in prison, you and John. You want to go through that again? Bring it on. If it's for the sake, namesake of Christ, bring it on. Man, are we all there? I don't know about you, but that speaks to my heart this morning. How in am I? Am I in when it's comfortable? Am I in when it's convenient? What if the police showed up at our door here today? Doing their job, of course. All you Christians, we all have to be arrested. Or what if they come up, Pastor, you can't teach the word. You didn't submit that to the judge. He's got to overread. He's got to read everything and water it down. And if he doesn't, you're going to have to go to prison. Guess what? Where am I going? You've been here for a while. You know, we're, I'm going to prison. And guess what's going to happen? One of the elders, they're going to get up and they're going to walk up here and the word of God's going to continue to go forward. Because that's real discipleship. That's real ministry. That's counting the cost. That's not being, you know, radical. That's just being a disciple. That's what it looks like. It's all in. It's, it, that's not radical. Radical is... You know, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know and I don't want to define terms of radical. But, but certainly, God never told us to be aggressive that way in harming anyone or do anything. That, that, I want to be clear. God never called us to anything like that. He called us to love, unconditional and perfect love. And he called us to represent truth, perfect truth. Not to hold anything back. So they're laying it on. Can you imagine, Paul, again, you're in the courtroom right now. This is all being done by this, this a liar. I mean, Tertullus is a liar. He's lying. He's making all these accusations against Paul. And Paul's standing there. Can you imagine? I, I don't even think he had a gesture or, or an expression on his face. I believe he probably sat there and he just listened to everything he was saying and just thought, Lord, you are so good. Just totally tuning out the lies and propaganda of the enemy. Just, he knew where his attack was coming from. 
He knew it wasn't even man that they were mad at. They were mad at Jesus because they had rejected him. And he simply was there as an ambassador. And that's happened to you and I, hasn't it? You found yourselves in positions like that where you took a stand for Christ. You took a stand for the word of God. Maybe even along those that may even call themselves believers. And you find yourself in that situation. And, and it's painful, but, but it's right. It's right. And he charges them to be a ringleader, the, the sect of the Nazarenes, as we mentioned. And not only was this a disparaging reference to Jesus and his followers, but, but if you think about Nazareth, when we were, you know, we read in Matthew and Mark, we've been in the Gospels, we'll make our way back to June, uh, to uh, Luke and uh, John as we get back through the Testament after we go through the, the epistles. But John chapter 1, verse 46, it tells us that Nazareth had a horrible reputation. A horrible reputation. And that's what they, that's how they defined it here. But, but at the same time, did you catch something? Again, you're listening to every word. You're reading every word on this page. You're allowing it to marinate in your heart. You're studying every word. You're a disciple of Christ. That's what we do. And as we read this, did you see what Tortullus did at the very same time? He actually gave Paul a compliment, an accidental compliment, but he gave him a compliment nonetheless. Did you see that there? Look at your text in verse 5. What did he say? He says, Paul and the message of Jesus Christ. What did he say? It had spread throughout the world. More is caught than taught. When you are a light that way, you can't keep it contained, as Jesus said. When you have salt, if it's not used, it's good for nothing. Throughout the whole world that way, Tortullus stood up and said, this man, he if not single-handedly, through brothers and sisters in Christ, have gone and to the Mediterranean, to this whole area, spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at what he's done. And Paul was going, hey, all right, praise the Lord. Paul knew it wasn't him, but he was celebrating. He's like, yeah, I got, we got the gospel of Jesus Christ. How people are getting saved. People are getting baptized. People are rejoicing because no longer are they condemned. But they're set free because they've been forgiven by the blood of the Lamb. Do you see this with me? It's beautiful. Now, again, putting our juror hats on. What is the only charge they actually brought against Paul here? Really, something they could act on, much like what they did to Christ. He even tried to profane the temple. But did Tortullus give any evidence here? No. You won't find a single bit of evidence, even in the accusation. He didn't present. I mean, you know, he's a prosecutor. He understands what he's doing. He couldn't bring a single ounce of evidence forward. He had nothing to bring. All he could do is heap these lies and accusations. There's no evidence for this charge. This was fabricated. This whole account that this man, Tortullus, was bringing up was because of Acts chapter 21, verses 26 through 29, when they saw Paul go back to Jerusalem to offer alms, givings from the local churches that he was bringing back to bless the poor in Jerusalem. And he had gone into the temple to give the alms and to do different things like that, to worship, because maybe the Nazarite vow, but he in no way raised an uprising, or, no, or, or he didn't lead an uprising, nor did he in any way profane the temple by bringing Gentiles past into the inner courts where only the Jews were allowed to be. He, did, he didn't do any of that. He didn't do any of that. Verse 7, but the commander, Lysias, came by and with great violence took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come to you by examining him yourself, you may ascertain all these things in which we accuse him. And the Jews also ascended, maintaining that, that these things were so. This is interesting. In verse 8, he says, by examining yourself, you'll ascertain all these things we're accusing. You know, the irony of all this is he didn't even pretend to offer any evidence. He, he didn't even pretend to have evidence for the charges he was bringing forward. He, he said, you know what, Paul? I got nothing. You know what, Felix? I got nothing. But maybe if you talk to him, maybe he'll incriminate himself. How about that? I mean, like that was their entire 
argument. Can you imagine you're a prosecutor? You're an orator. You're this, you know, hired gun. You come in. You've got everything. You've got your case. You've got your brief. You come in, and you're like, and he's a bad guy, and he did these things, and he did that. Well, what charges do you have? Well, you should put him on the stand. Just put him right on the stand. What, what, what's your argumentation? What, what, where are you going to argue? How are you going to argue that? He needs to get up on the stand. I mean, you have nothing. You have nothing. And, and, and I can't help. And then one of the, the religious leaders, Ananias, the priests and the elders, they're like, yeah. I mean, they, what else could they have said? Yeah, get him up there. We, we got nothing. Do you see how ridiculous this is? I mean, when you look at I me, mean, can you, dun, dun, dun. I mean, can you see? I mean, it's literally, you're looking at this, and, and it's exactly what they were doing. They're asking Felix to put him on the stand. Now, now, I want you to pay very close attention to Paul's defense here. I want you to notice what he doesn't do and what he does do. Compared to Tortullus, who came forward with all this, you know, lies and all the, the you know, um, it was deep. It was heavy there. I don't know how else to say it. Lies, flattery, what have you that he brought forward that way. Look, look at how Paul comes forward. Then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, in other words, after Felix kind of gives him the go-ahead, he answered, inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of the nation. Paul's thinking at this point, I got nothing good to say about you, but I can at least state a fact. You have been here for a while, man. You've been here for a while. I do... I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. He's like, and I am happy that I don't have this guy arguing on my account. Because you may ascertain that it is no more than 12 days, very important, underline this. This is part of Paul's case. Since I went up to Jerusalem to worship, and they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone, nor inciting the crowd either in the synagogue or in the city, nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. This is very, very interesting to me. He, he says, I, I more cheerfully answer for myself. Paul was very happy to answer himself because he had the facts of the case on his side. They were, they were in his favor, right? And notice Paul didn't, again, use any flattery to begin to butter up Felix there. He, he wasn't interested in that. The best he could say is, you've been here, man. Even though he says it had been no more than 12 days, I had you underline that. Why is that important? What is Paul trying to bring out here? He's saying, look, this isn't a year later. This isn't even months later. You're talking 12 days. If there were accusers that I had profaned the temple, where are my accusers? Where are these men that you've brought forward to speak against what I've done? Where are the facts? Where's your proof? You have nothing. You can see Tortullus going, this was a bad idea, right? At first he thought, yeah, this is, and now he's thinking, this is not going as planned. This is not going as planned. Paul reminds Felix that his accusers, what? <laughs> they were required to prove he was a Roman citizen. They have to bring proof. Something about him in the temple, at least disputing or inciting the crowd, something you have to bring forward here. But there was simply no proof for the accusations. But this I confess to you that according to the way, circle that. Notice, well, we'll come back to that. But notice what Tortullus called it and notice what Paul calls it. But to this I confess to you that according to the way which, all, which they all call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. I hope I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that they, were, that they will be of the resurrection of the dead, both the just and the unjust. This being so, I myself also strive to have a conscience without offense towards God and men. Now, after many years, I come or I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation, in the midst of which some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with a mob nor with a tumult. They ought to have been there, or they ought to have been here before you to object if they had anything against me. Or else let those who are here themselves say if they found any wrongdoing in me while I stood before the council. Unless it is, unless it is for this one statement which they cried out. 
standing among them concerning, he's saying he cried out, pardon me, concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. You see, he brings it back around. He says, you know what? The reason that this is, is all happening is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which he says, I professed. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. First, he begins low in verse 14. He made it clear he didn't abandon the God of their fathers, the God of his fathers that way, the law and the prophets. When we see this in the New Testament, they say, and all hangs on this, the law and the prophets. Jesus himself spoke that. What is he talking about? He's talking about the whole counsel of God. When you would say the law and the prophets, you're talking about the Old Testament, the New, well, in that time, obviously, the New Testament was being penned through the lives of Paul and others at that point. But he was talking about the entire counsel of God. He's talking about the word of God. As a matter of fact, when Jesus physically came to this earth some 2,000 years ago, what did he do? Why do you come to a church, a Calvary Chapel? You're at Calvary Chapel here today. You know when you come to a Calvary Chapel, what are you going to do? You're going to sit under the word. You know you're going to go line by line, verse by verse, every jot and tittle through the Hebrew, through the Greek. We're going to exegete the whole scripture. Why do you come to a Calvary Chapel instead of a, a, another place there, another church like that? Why? Because when Jesus Christ came to earth, he walked into the synagogues and he began to open the word. And what did he do? He exegeted. He taught. The very thing we do here this morning, 2,000 years ago, this is what Jesus did. He would open the scrolls of Isaiah. Remember, the scrolls used to be kept up in the front, and he would sit down. They would stand as they would teach. It was a little different than it is today culturally, but he would open the scrolls. Scrolls weren't this way. Scrolls were horizontally. He would open the scroll, and he would begin teaching, right? Right to left, because Hebrew, right to left. He would begin reading to them, and then he would then explain. He would, he would then exegete which is what I, I pray and hope to do before you this morning. That's what I hope to do. And then the Holy Spirit gave application. Jesus didn't have to say, are you guys, get, can you conosco this? You know, he didn't say, can you conosco it? He, he didn't ask, could you understand it? Could you, could you internalize it in your heart? He trusted that the Holy Spirit was doing that. And that's what I trust here today. I, I don't have to spend 30 minutes in application and five minutes in the word. I trust the Holy Spirit does that through the rest of your week. Wherever you are, you know, whatever you're doing at your job, your home, wherever he's at, God's taking that and he's using it. And, and what's poured in is what can be poured out. The, the greatest way to be an evangelist is to be in the word of God. Because when you're in the word of God and you go out and speak to people, again, what's poured in is what's going to come out. It's what comes forward, the word. It's not some fancy theological treatise. It's love, it's truth, and it's simple. Jesus loves you. You know, we had our VBS a few weeks ago and we had the kids here and it was a wonderful time. And one of the things we did with the kids is, you know, how do you know, you want to be evangelist? Yeah, 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 sounds good, okay. So we had them, you know, sit down and then we'd have one of the uh, adults go over and whisper in their ear. I said, we're going to all tell you something. Jesus loves you. What I want you to do is stand and tell that to your neighbor, your neighbor one of your little friends you just met this week. And they went all the way down and they went through the rows. And finally, they got to the back, and they all stood. I said, okay, when you know what it is, stand up what you've heard. Everybody stood up, and I said on three, what did Jesus tell you? Jesus loves me. Ah. Oh. I said, you're all evangelists. That's it right there. That's why the kids are upstairs right now. What are they doing? They're covering the same text we are, line by line and verse by verse. So that way as parents, when you go back in your cars with them, it's not, how was your day? Good. What'd you do? Nothing. All right, we get enough of that during the week, right? I don't know about you as a parent. I get enough of that during the week. But it's, what did you do? We learned about Jesus. Oh, really? What passage were you in? You parents know what passage there in Acts 24. What were you learning about? Paul, yeah, isn't it amazing when you think about the courtroom drama, what is going back and forth in the account? And it's a conversation that can ensue. It's real discussion. That's what I love. Jesus was the author of that, not man. None of it. None of it. Pastor Chuck Smith in Calvary Chapel didn't think of that. Jesus Christ did it. He was the author of that. We simply follow our Lord. Well, going back to that, talking about following, I mean, he, he was saying, look, God of my fathers and the law of the prophets, instead he's saying, I'm fulfilling both of those at this moment. And it's interesting, Tortullus he called Christianity, again, in verse 5, the sect of the Nazarenes, right? 
But Paul called it correctly here what? The way. It was the way of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Jesus said there's only one way. The way, the truth, and the life. And it was found in him alone. You see, I I completely believe this 100% that there is only one way. And that way is through Christ alone. And, And we, if we are called by his namesake, Christians, if we are truly disciples, we need to be a part of that way. Amen? We need to be a part of that way. Otherwise, we're not walking in the way of Christ. What are we walking in the way of? The way of the world. There's only two ways. You're going to walk the way of Christ or you're going to walk the way of the world. Pick. You're going to walk one way. And even when you don't think you're making a decision, what have you done? Made a decision because no decision is still an indecision. Of, you know, you're making a decision. And you're walking the way of the world. And I have to ask everybody here, I mean, God love you and I love you too, but what way are we all walking this morning? Every one of us. What way are we walking? How do you identify? Every one of us. It's real. So Paul goes on to mention in verse 15, there will be a resurrection of the dead. Now again, this was believed by most of the Jews that day. I mean, the devout Jews anyway. We know the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, right? Acts chapter 23 verse 8 told us that, and we talked about that already. But Paul's belief in the resurrection was connected to the specific trust in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why is that foundational and important to Christianity? Not only found in 1 Corinthians 15, but why is that so fundamental? Because if Jesus Christ wasn't able to raise himself to the dead, or God the Father couldn't raise Jesus, then what? Then we too would not be able to count on being raised from the dead that way. And if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, as he had prophesied that he would over three times in the gospel, then you and I wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be here. It all hangs on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's so much historical evidence, extra biblical evidence. There's so much. But I think it's important here. It's both the just and the unjust. Paul clearly believed in resurrection for both the righteous and the unrighteous. You know, some have come up with this idea of soul sleep or, or annihilationism. Maybe you've heard of it. These are not accurate teachings according to the New Testament. The Bible very clearly, Jesus Christ alone over five times in Matthew chapter 13, verse 42, as an example of one of the five times in the gospel of Matthew alone, he goes and speaks and says, for those that reject Jesus Christ, there will be gnashing of teeth. Our God's not grammatically challenged for all of eternity. There's no annihilationism in that if you reject Jesus Christ, that you go there and just for one day and then you cease to exist as some try to water it down. That's not what our Bible teaches. Jesus Christ himself said it. It's not hearsay. Or this idea of soul sleep where you lose a consciousness or, or you have no idea of the awareness of what's going on. Oh, no. For those that reject Christ for all of eternity will be very well aware of their abode, of their torment, of their gnashing of teeth, where the worm does not, if I can paraphrase, die or sleep that way, right? Hell is very real. But Jesus talked a lot about hell, didn't he? It was never his desire that anyone would go to hell. That's why he died on the cross, so we could be forgiven. Not because we deserved it. Not because there was anybody here that had arrived. There's nobody here better than anybody else. I'm not better than anybody else like that. But we could all come in our trespasses and sin before a living God and be forgiven. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't need to be, nobody needs to stand up here and hit the, you know, and fire and brims. No, we don't need to. We can do it with compassion. Because that's what Jesus Christ did. He spoke with compassion, but he spoke with truth. He never compromised one or the other. He's the fullness of both. He was the fullness of both. And as Paul's going through this, he's acting in that stead in the fullness of both. He's giving the truth and he's explaining the resurrection and they're hearing it. It, I I think it's the thing that pricked Felix's heart at that moment because as he's hearing this, he's gonna later call Paul back 
for a private account. And he's going to get convicted himself after he hears this. But he goes through and he says that he came to bring alms and offerings. This refers to the collection that Paul made to the Judean Christians among the Gentile churches in the West. You know, Galatians chapter 2, 10. Romans chapter 15, verse 26. And I, and I just want to tell you, just to encourage you here this morning, Christians should never be nervous or ashamed of the truth or the evidence. You should never be nervous. I had someone come in my office just this last week, had a situation at work. They were very nervous. Some things had been, you know, alligated or brought. This person was not sure how things were going to go down. Maybe they were going to get fired. They were very overwhelmed by the situation. But they rested in the truth of God. They go in. They had been praying all weekend. Monday morning comes around. They go into the office. They get called into the office. They knew it was going to happen. And they thought, oh, here it goes. I'm about to get fired. And they sat there and they began to pray and said, I didn't do anything. You know, I did what I was in accounting. I did everything was accounted for. Everything is right. The person turns and looks and says, oh, we caught the error over here. We, you know, you're doing such a great job. Began praising him. He literally sat there and went, Lord, I did not see this coming. I thought I was getting terminated. And instead I'm getting praised. And you tell me my God's not a big God. Your God's not a big God. God meets us through every circumstance. When we stand in righteousness and truth, he will always be there with us. Now, even if that would have ended differently, even if he would have been fired, do you not think God would have provided another job, a better job? You better believe he would have. Because our God, his hand is never slack. He's a good God and he's, he's a righteous God. And if we're truly following God, the truth and evidence is our companion. It's our companion. Just like our Bible, this is, this is companionship to us. It's instruction. It's, it's wonderful that way. Well, we're going we're gonna to conclude there. We'll come back next week and we'll read verses uh, 22 and on. Go ahead and, and spend, um, you know, the next five minutes. I mean, we pretty, probably could have gone through and covered this, but, you know, just at the time we're in, I want to give everybody time to get home, maybe get a change of clothes. Does everybody know where Lower Allen Community Park is? It's about six miles. You can GPS it. Um, we're going to have about two o'clock. We're going to get there. Soccer ball games, fun for the whole family. We're going to come out. You know, we're going to be worship. And then we're at around three o'clock. We're going to have our baptism time. Uh, if you're coming and you haven't signed up, that's all right. The Lord knows and he accounted for it. Just come as you are. All I ask is ladies, if you're going to wear a bathing suit, just please put a, a shirt over it, please. And, and guys, if you're coming out, just wear a shirt like that, not to cause anybody to, you know, uh, lust that way. And so just, just to, um, you know, do that. And then afterwards, about four o'clock, we're going to have a time of fellowship. We're going to have food. Just bring yourselves. We, if, you, if the Lord brought you a dish to pass, fine, but don't worry about that. We've got enough food. Just bring yourselves. Come on out and be ready to receive and just have a good time in the Lord. Christians can have fun, huh? Amen. We can have fun. And you know, I'm, I'm praying, please pray between now and two o'clock that the Lord had put in the heart of some of those baseball players, some of the, you know, one of the guys that's been there for, I don't know how many years, five years, he came over, we were setting up and he was talking to us a little bit about the baptism and different things like that. Steve, you know, one of our elders, he was talking with him. He's like, oh yeah, you know, you never know, pray, maybe he'll come out, you know, and be baptized. I don't know who the Lord, I know, like I said, we got 14 or 15 people, but if the Lord moves on any of your hearts, any of your hearts this morning, and you have not been baptized, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. It was a commandment. There's a baptism book out there that talks about what it is and why to be baptized. It's free. Grab it. It's out there. We wrote it for you that you would have the passages and verses handy. But I, I'm just encouraged by what God is doing in the hearts of faithful believers. I really believe God's beginning a revival right here. I believe he's beginning a revival in this fellowship in this area. One last revival. Amen? Let's stand and pray. If we, uh, if we keep our current pace, I'm imagining we probably have got two, maybe three more teachings, uh, and we'll be done with the book of Acts, and we'll be going into the book of Romans next, okay? And then also, I think we have one more teaching this coming Wednesday. We'll conclude the book of Exodus, and we'll be going into the book of Leviticus. And uh, 
We've got a lot, a lot going. We've got a lot. We're moving at a good pace. So maybe in another 20 years, if the Lord shouldn't tarry, we'll be through the whole Bible. I try to get through it in seven years, but there's so much meat on the bone. You know, next time as we go through it, we'll do a little more in the Hebrew and Greek. This time it's more important just to get, get everybody's mind washed with the word of God. Amen? All right, let's bow and pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord Jesus, again. Lord, thank you for your word that went forward and spoke to my heart here. And I imagine many of our friends here this morning. God, thank you that, Lord, you, you give us such discernment. Just as you gave Paul, he knew exactly what to say, Lord. He wasn't embarrassed or afraid, Lord, to rest in your truth, God. No, he, Lord, he wanted your truth and evidence as his companions. And God, I pray for that here. If, there, if there's anyone here, Lord, God, I pray that if there's any one of us, that, Lord, we've been walking that fine line, maybe even a little backslidden, Lord. What a wonderful day, Lord Jesus, just to get right with you, to repent from our sin, and, Lord, to come on out to a, a beautiful day where you're providing it for us, God. We know this baptism's from you, Lord Jesus, that you gave us this beautiful, it's been rainy for a month here, Lord, and today you gave us a beautiful day to come out and enjoy each other and to enjoy you and glorify your name. Thank you, God, for that gift. God, I pray we'd all come out, every one of us here. We'd be witnesses of your love. Lord, we'd reach a lost and dying generation. Lord, as you've taught us in your word many times, Lord, the most that people see in the Bible sometimes is the reading of our lives. May we be ambassadors that are faithful and true to you, Lord Jesus. May you strengthen us and encourage us for the walk ahead. God, we don't know what's around the corner, but you do. You're never caught off guard, God. So for our trials, circumstances, Lord, we pray and invite you into the middle of them as the foundation of our walk through them. Strengthen us right now, God, as only you can do through the moving of your Holy Spirit, through your truth. Wash our minds with your word. And we pray you'd seal all this in, the heart, in our hearts right now, God. And we pray this in your name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people prayed. Amen. God bless you all. I love you all. And I'll see you on Wednesday. But most importantly, I'll see you at 2 o'clock, Loran Park. In the other room, there's these little things like this. Grab one. It's got the directions on it. If you need it, come on out. But you can GPS it in the Wazi or Waze or however you say it. Waze. God bless you all.